Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. Uh, there was a lady, Naomi Wolf. Uh, she was an advisor to President Clinton, Al Gore, I think. Uh, she was a staunch feminist over in the United States. She said this, A life without God is not an adequate basis for working justice in society. And it's not an adequate basis for finding personal meaning in life. Now, here's a lady who's on a quest for God. Here's a lady who's trying to find God. She's asking the question, how do I encounter God? How do I find him? And she says the problem is this, and this is why I picked this quote. She says, she believes in this time there are increasing numbers of people like her, but they're kind of in the closet because they're afraid of the ridicule of their peers. You know, I think she's right. I think we see more and more people in society who have a deep yearning to want to encounter God, but they, they're scared to do so because they're worried what their family or their friends might say. And so we begin a new series for the next four weeks. We're going to look at four Old Testament characters. If we want to know how do you encounter God, we've just been talking about the church. How do we find God despite Christians? Now it begs the question, if we've found God, how do we encounter him? How do we know that we've encountered him? What does that feel like? And the best way to do that is to pick four characters that have actually encountered God. And so let's pick up the story here of Jacob because... What we've just read from in Genesis 32 is the climax of a story that goes on for chapters in Genesis. It's why you pay me as your pastor to summarize this stuff into five minutes. And we see here in verse 24 that Jacob got up, took his two wives, his two maidservants, and they crossed the ford, the river of the Jabbok. Now, what is going on here? All of the lines of Jacob's life is converging. Jacob was a twin. Uh, Jacob had a twin brother called Esau. He was born first. And so uh, part of the characteristic of these two brothers is that they were forever wrestling each other. In fact, uh, there's a moment where um, Rebecca, is, is, his mum, is feeling all of this going going on in, inside her and, and, uh, and goes and asks the prophet what is going on in all of this and the prophet says they're wrestling and then Jacob eventually comes out of the womb hanging on to Esau's ankle. That's how much they wrestled. He just grabbed his big brother's ankle as he came out first as the older twin and so that's the theme of his life. But the other theme of his life is it's a constant wrestle for the blessing, being the younger brother. We understand those old cultures. The firstborn had the blessing. What's the blessing? The inheritance. So he's constantly wrestling Esau for the, for the position of eventually being the CEO of all of dad's land, Isaac, Isaac, the son of Abraham. So we're talking about this little kid here is, is the grandson of Abraham, the great biblical figure. And so he wants to be the CEO over all of the land that they have. And he's wrestling through that. How do I get, get that? And then comes the con job. He, he, he dresses up like his older brother, who was an hairy man, as the old translations say. Because <laughs> Jacob said, how am I going to trick dad? Because Esau is an hairy man, but I am a smooth man. Dad's going to know when he's failing eyesight, he's going to feel me and I'm going to be baby smooth. Finally, a guy in the, in the Bible I can relate to. <laughs> Takes me like three months to grow this beard, church. <laughs> I am a smooth man, Jacob, I get you. <laughs> Anyway, so the deal is that, uh, that he does trick dad Isaac. Isaac gives him the blessing. And, uh, and as a result, uh, Isaac sort of figures, well, even though Isaac understands that he's being conned, he says this must be God's will. So he lets it pass. Well, you can imagine what Esau's thinking now. He's ropeable. 
And so the whole rest of their life now is characterized by a big fight. It's on. And as a result, Jacob flees. And he flees and he spends years away from his home, away from his homeland, years fleeing and wrestling through all sorts of different stories that we can't talk about this morning. And then it comes to this point, finally this point where Jacob decides to come back. God has prompted him, said, go back, go receive your blessing, go back to the homeland. It's time to come back. And so Jacob realizes that I'm going to have it out. I'm going to have it out with the guy that I've been wrestling with since the moment I came out of mum's room. We're up for the big fight. It's going to be happening. And so he sends all of his servants ahead of him across the river with gifts in order to soften up Esau a little bit. Figures if I give him some gifts, maybe he won't uh, smack me down and kill me with his army. And he says, I'm going to finally have it out with him. And so he divides his own family up. That's why they go across the river. He divides them up in the hope that if, look, they're across the river, at least maybe if he's killed, his family will survive. And it comes down now to the eve of the biggest wrestle of Jacob's life. And mysteriously, before this wrestle has happened, a stranger comes along and he wrestles this stranger. On the eve of the big fight with his brother, he's having, he wrestles this stranger for the entire night. There's a massive wrestle on. And this stranger attacks him, wrestles with him all night. It's an encounter. What do we learn from that? What do we see from this encounter? Here's what the encounter tells us. He, he wrestles through this the sun comes up and, he, and he, un, he understands for the first time that that whole night that he's been wrestling, it hasn't been with a stranger. Well, it had been with a stranger. He had no idea. And suddenly it clicks for him at the end of it. I've been wrestling with God. What a story, eh? What a mysterious, fascinating story that he goes in for this fight. He's wrestling with God. What does this encounter tell us in terms about how you can encounter God? This is the litmus test to tell whether you've encountered God. Whether you are encountering God, two things simply from this story. You have to encounter him by yourself and you have to wrestle him. <laughs> if you want to encounter God, you have to encounter him by yourself and you have to wrestle him. Verse 24, it says here, verse 23, uh, after he'd sent his family across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. And so Jacob was left alone. Look, you've got to get alone in order to encounter God. Now, this would sound contradictory to everything that I've just said for the past three weeks about being in community. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not that flippant. This is not contradictory. This is critical. If you want to encounter God, you have to be alone. And here's part of the reason why. Have you ever noticed, maybe it's been true of your life, have you noticed how people go through phases in their faith? Maybe you've been through phases of life. Phases like this, where you grew up in church with your parents and you loved it and you loved kids' church or you loved youth ministry and you loved it in, in your, your, your young days and then you go off to university or you, or you become a young adult and, and suddenly the, the faith's not there anymore. It, it's not as powerful anymore. It's not as vital to you. Or you've gone to university and you discover God for the first time and you're wrestling through with people and there's big intellectual discussions and then you go get the job and... The faith's not there anymore. just doesn't seem to have the same power and centrality to your life. Or what about this one? Have you been through seasons where you've met, you've met God, you feel you've encountered him in a time of deep crisis? Maybe a friend brought you to church and you found him and, and it was sweet and it was beautiful and then life seems to pick back up again and, and then the faith goes. You ever notice that with people? Why is that? 
here's what I think it could be. It could be that you've been caught up in the activities of God, but you haven't encountered God for yourself. You've been caught up in all of the wonderful things of the way that the church works and the changed lives. You've been listening to other people's stories and experiences with God. There's great community in all of this. You're filled with hope because you said, look at that. I can see that. What a great story. It's incredible. But you haven't met him yourself. You haven't been alone with him. In other words, you're living off other people's experiences of God, but you haven't had your own experience of God. Could that be what's happening here? Now, let me take you into a really sobering transition. You know, I'm starting to realize as I watch many of the loved ones in this place that any of the significant moments in life will happen to you when you're alone. You know, almost, almost a year ago, I, I, had, I, had this, I had this in the real sense. Some of the team would know. We're, we're, we're at a team lunch and um, my, Mikey said to me, are you feeling okay? And and I thought I was fine, but I wasn't looking fine. And it looked like I was having a mini stroke. And so by the afternoon, I was taken up straight into emergency. And, um, and I was just there by myself uh, in a room up at Royal North Shore. And I was totally alone. And it was totally scary. And it's really weird because, you know, we're the sort of place where we'll say to you, hey, look, you know, we're here for you and uh, the church is here and we're praying for you. You're gonna walk, we're going to walk with you through this. And yeah, we'll say that, we'll do that. But here's the reality, right, church? That when it comes to that moment, when they wheel you into the observation room or they stick you into the big MRI machine to take a thing in your head, like your pastor can't be there. That member of your connect group can't be there. You're going to do it alone. And I, I th- I'm so thankful that I'd had that encounter because this is what I want to say to you is that in those alone moments, whatever that might be for you in life, maybe a scary health scare, maybe that time when you go back after the funeral of a loved one and you're totally alone. If there's nothing else in this world, if there's no God, if there's no sense of his presence in your life, that can be a scary place. So church, what I'm saying to you is you've got to You've got, to, you've got to get with him alone. Please, please don't be filled with hope. Don't be filled with joy and count all the things, the activities of God that you see as evidence for him and yet have not experienced that for yourself. You've got to get with him alone if you want to encounter God. Here's the second thing you've got to do. We'll spend a bit more time on this. You've got to wrestle with God. Verse 24 again. He was alone and a man wrestled with him all night until daybreak. Let's think about some three qualities that I'm going to pick. What is, what is wrestling? Uh, let's, let's apply this spiritually here. You've got to wrestle with God. What are some of the qualities, the characteristics of wrestling? Here's the first one, single-mindedness. When you are wrestling someone, that's it. You're not thinking about whether you're going to go to um, Hamilton Island or Cairns for your holiday when you're wrestling someone. I mean, Jacob is not there thinking, well, I wonder how the pastures are going and how the kids are doing in the middle of this fight and this wrestle. There's a single-mindedness to this. Absolutely focused on the wrestle, the fight of his life. You know, people who encounter God in the real sense have a single-mindedness about them in in that moment. I, I say that they have an orbital nature. 
And here's what I mean by this. Suddenly, there becomes a moment where they realize that at one point in time, all of life was revolving around me. All of life was orbiting me. And then I have this encounter with God and all of my life is spent orbiting him. There's a single minded. I can't take my mind off this. Have you ever seen, felt this, seen this in people? You know, new Christians where they are just single mindedly into the encounter of God. They, they just, it, what you, here's what it means intellectually is if you've encountered God, you suddenly realize, hey, if this thing is true, if he is there, then everything has to be about him. Everything has to flow out from this. Like the rest of it, get it out of the way. It's got to be about that. And I've got, to, I've got to work myself out in terms of that proposition. I saw it in a, I saw it in a newer believer. This is the beauty of having newer believers in Northside the other week. And she was, um, she was disappointed because she's inviting a whole heap of people to hang out at a connect group set up and... And, you know, it can be typical in church life. We're busy people, but half of the people that said yes didn't come. And she's quite downcast. She said, she said Sam, how, how, do you, how do you do this? You know, like, uh, how do you do this? When people say, yeah, they're going to be there, but then they don't come. Like, what is the deal with all of that? And the thing that got me is when she said this. She says, look, it's cool. It's cool. It's just a group. But she said, what they don't realize is that they don't get what they've got. <laughs> I didn't have this. They probably grew up in the church and they thought it was just another date in the calendar. But they don't get what they've got. You know what that is? That's a single-mindedness that comes from a real encounter with God. Everything becomes about this, Right? We've had that. Don't we feel that, Christians, when we've done the time for a while? And I think the challenge to you and I as, as more mature Christians from this person is, that's why I love new believers in, the, in this place. They're the crisis of maturity. They'll show us up. And we yearn for that. But then what we realize is that you know, God has become peripheral again in our lives. There's got to be a single-mindedness about him if you're encountering him. Here's the second thing that why wrestling's how we can apply this spiritually in wrestling, not only do you have a single-mindedness, but there is contradiction. Here's the thing I've discovered is that wrestling is not dancing. Okay? Wrestling's not dancing because I... Let's get a little bit honest with you. I used to salsa dance back in the day. Just, yeah. Yep. Yep. Um... Salsa, salsa is all about working with your partner and understanding the rhythm of the song so that your movements are complementary, not contradictory. That there is this beautiful flow in dancing that you and your partner move at exactly the same time. Wrestling, contradictory. Every bit of force that is going to the other person is coming straight back at you. Uh, every, everything requires an effort because there's no complementary nature as to what is happening. Now, here's what I'm trying to say here. If you are starting to encounter God, a person like that new believer that has a single-mindedness, if they're saying, here's all there is, then what should be happening now is a contradiction. You should start feeling that you're pushing up against something, Right? You should start to feel that you ask questions. Well, why is he doing this? And why does he ask me to do this? And why, why do I have to do this? And hang on, here's what happens. You start to argue with him. You wrestle with him. 
And that's a good and a healthy thing, church. But watch out too. It can be cool to argue too, by the way, can't it? You know, people say, yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm really wrestling with this issue. Or, um, yeah, man, I'm wrestling with God. It's cool to argue these days. But be careful. People think they're wrestling, but they're not. Because here's the point. You are not in a wrestling match with God until he contradicts you. Until you push up against things that... Mm, I'll, I'll, give, I'll give you one. You know, it happens all the time. Christianity Explained, I talk to people. If God is so good, I, you know, they say this, I can't believe in a God that sends people to hell because they don't believe in Jesus. Now, that's a whole other ser- sermon. I want to just use that statement. It's this phrase where people say, I can't believe in God because... Now... What I want to ask you is this question. Is it possible if this God is a real God and he's a real person and he's wrestling with you, is it possible that he might differ from you in the place where you have the deepest feelings? Of course it's possible. And in fact, it's not a real God if it doesn't differ from the things that you care about the most. But here's what happens at it. If you're saying, I can't believe this, I can't believe that, I can't... I can't, if you just say, I can't, here's what's happening. You're in a dynamic where you're allowed to ask every question you want of God, but he's not allowed to ask any question of you. And if, you do, if, if that's the dynamic, you're not wrestling. You're not encountering him. You have to fight it out. If it's a real God, you've got to fight it out. I, and I've seen this already in you know, my, my limited time talking with couples through marriage counselling, you know, more often than not, you see in the dynamics of relationships that people haven't been connecting, you know, not always, but more often than not, you know, the guys haven't been listening to what their wife has been saying and they get into this marriage counselling situation and, and they start having this massive Barney in front of you and for the first time she feels heard and they're fighting. Sometimes fighting's a good thing. Sometimes she just hasn't been this little object. She's, she's been something now that, that this guy is hearing. You have to wrestle it out, fight it out with God. Here's the third one. Um, how's, re- how's wrestling with, with God like normal wrestling? There's pain. Now, this, is, this is the thing that's, that scares me when we talk about encountering this God. It scared me in this series because... We're probably not going to talk about encountering God the way you might think we would in terms of some mystical goosebump type experience. This is scary. Of all the places where it says where you see the dynamic, the principle that encountering God is not some necessarily fuzzy goosebump feeling. It's here. You know, finally Jacob's got all of his life together. Finally Jacob is here. Finally Jacob is owning up to the things that he needs to do. Finally he's facing the music. And how do you expect God to respond to a man like that? A man that is at the end of his life, at the risk of his life, obeying his word, praying by the riverside, wanting to make things right with his brother. How does God respond to a man like that in the story, class? What does he do? He clobbers him. He attacks him. He wrestles him. He causes him pain. Now, some of you are saying, what sort of God is that? That's often the question, right, when we go through these painful times. What sort of God does that, that hurts you? What sort of God does that to you? You know, on the, 
on the left side of the fence, people, you say, oh, God loves everyone. He wouldn't do that. That can't be God. On the right side of the fence, the conservatives say, well, if you just pray and you're morally upright, then God will bless you. He won't do that. So this is a God of no one's imagination here. There's a great quote from C.S. Lewis from the Chronicles of Narnia. Someone asked of Aslan, is he safe? And the response is, who said anything about him being safe? Of course he's not safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. This is a God who is putting Jacob through agony and pain. And the question is, why? I think the answer is, if we answer this question, when does Jacob finally get it? Remember, the story is Jacob's got no idea with this, who this mystery figure is. And then at the end of it, he goes, oh my goodness, I've been wrestling with God. When does he finally get it? I think it's in verse 28 of this passage. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God, with men who have overcome. You have wrestled with God and you have prevailed. You won, Jacob. Now, the mystery of this is Jacob didn't know who this was. He sort of knew, he would have known of God, but he didn't know God. He knew the story about his granddad, Abraham and Sarah. He probably even knew the stories about uh, the mysterious stranger that, uh, that appeared to Hagar. He knew that there were strangers that interjected in his family's life, but he didn't get it. Where does he get it? Where does the penny drop? Where does it come down? Where does it sink in? Where is Jacob converted? And here it is here. Verse 25, when the man saw that he could not overpower Jacob, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. When the the stranger saw that he could not overpower Jacob, here's when he gets it. He gets it in the moment. This guy's been fighting all night. That word um, touched his hip literally means a tap, a tap. So Jacob has been fighting this guy the whole night and with a tap, his leg is almost ripped off his body and he's lame for the rest of his life and there is incredible pain. Here's when I think he gets it. He gets it at the moment that he understands this person that he is wrestling with could have destroyed him in the first minute, but he didn't. Why? Look, any of you parents, any of you parents with teenagers or kids who have been through destructive behaviour, you understand this. What do you do if your child is drug addicted? What do you do if the child that you love has run off the rails? What, if you, what do you do if the, the, the child that you love is, is in a mode of self-destruction? What do you do? Do you stand back idle? No, you get in there and you fight. And you grab them by the arms and you shout at them and you plead with them. And there'll be physical moments where you pin them down and you hold them down in the deep hope that you would be able to get through to them. Man, it's a wrestle. And it's a deep, deep wrestle. And the thing that is so hard for any parent to watch is the very, here's the thing that the very 
problems that cause a lack of love and a lack of humility in in someone's life and in a child's life, the very problems that cause that lack of humility are the very problems that are required in the child's life to build wisdom and love and humility. You've got to let them go through the junk. You've got to pin them down in this. And even in that moment, the child may scream at you. They may be in that contradiction, right, by the way? The contradiction of the moment is you're opposing this self-destruction that there's pain. Every parent understands this, and I believe God, as Jacob's parent, understood this. That even though Jacob felt like this was pain and destruction in the middle of the wrestle, what he understood finally at all of this is that God was doing what any parent would want to do with a child who's self-destructing, and it's this. If a child or someone that you love is in that moment, you don't, you don't want to destroy them, you want to melt them. You want them to be transformed. And this is the God who says, I want to bless you. I want to change your life. I want to wake you up to who you are. I want to wake you up to who I am. I want you to see, Jacob, the stupid things you've been doing all your life. And almost the only way that I can get you into a transformed life is I'm going to have to get you in a headlock and wrestle you into it. Don't you see, until trouble comes into your life, You can't be changed. You guys know this, don't you? I'm looking at faces that know this. Until you're willing to admit that God has spoken to you, that he is wrestling the daylights out of you, but yet you still say, I will stay. Without the pain, without the agony, you haven't encountered God. Lewis again said, God whispers to us in prosperity, but he shouts to us in adversity. Man, there are some of you this morning that I know you're in, you're in the fight of your life. And I want to encourage you with this verse this morning that it might be in the middle of that fight that you think God is absent or that God is somehow penalizing you for what you are going through and this is the result of all of that. And yet what you may fail to understand is this is a deep wrestle of love. A transforming wrestle and it was the wrestle that converted Jacob it was the wrestle that moved him to be a fighter not against God but for God because then what happens in the story Jacob comes in and suddenly he's wrestling with the stranger the hip happens and then he won't let go Jacob's still wrestling now he's fighting but he's not fighting against he's fighting for God and he says I won't let go until your blessing and here's what God was saying to him through all of that God was saying, Jacob, you, wanted, you think that you have been wrestling Esau your whole life. You've been wrestling him in, his, in your mind while you're off in the outskirts of your promised land. You've been wrestling him as a kid. You think that you've been wrestling Esau all your life. You haven't been wrestling him. You've been wrestling me. You've been constantly wrestling for the, for the blessing. You've been constantly wrestling for Rachel as your wife because all of her beauty and what God was saying to Jacob in that moment is that the whole reason that you are wrestling for every other blessing in your life is because you have never wrestled with the blessing. And Jacob got that and what happened? He said, please do not leave. Jacob says, if I can have you, you are the blessing that has been the vacuum cleaner at the center of my soul for my entire life. Do not leave, for if I have you, then I have everything. Friend, i just got to ask you as we get ready to finish up tonight. Have you got an Esau in your life? 
But what I mean by that is that false thing that you think that you're really wrestling with, you think it's the wrestle, but really it's the very thing that takes you away from the real wrestle and encounter with God. What is that for you? We all have them until we see the great blessing of the God who chooses to melt us. How does he melt him? You know, I, I, found it, I found it fascinating the way that in this passage it says, and the stranger could not overcome Jacob, and yet on the other hand, a contradiction, he just touches his, tip, uh, his hip, rips it out of place. How does that happen? How could he not be overcome? You know, it's like, um, it's like when I wrestle my little Zach, he's four years old, and we have wrestles, and we have wrestles, Daddy, all right? We get on the, the lounge room floor, and we, we start having the wrestles, and I always get terrified I'm going to hurt him, so... What I do is I always make sure that somehow in the wrestle I grab him and then I end up on my back. And sort of he wrestles me and he'll grab my arm and he'll try and pin my arm down and, uh, 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 you know, you're so strong, Zach. You know, pin it, you say, I'm the winner. And I'm like, yeah, buddy, you're the winner. Um, I win. I win through losing. I win through losing. He wins too through losing. Jacob, Jacob won through losing. He wrestled his whole life in that moment where he understood that this one wrestling with him didn't want to destroy him. He gave up. And God won by losing. You know, that, um, the word for hips fascinating when you look at what it is. Um, you read through all the Old Testament places where they use that old word for hip. It actually sort of meant more like thigh. It says he touched him on the thigh and, and, and basically... That word thigh actually in Far Eastern cultures is a euphemism for the groin area. And so basically it said that the way that this fight got ended is that God kicked Jacob in the nether regions. <laughs> There's great symbolism in all of that, doesn't it? He says, look, you're going to survive, you're going to win here. Because the real pain is going to be felt in one of your descendants. And we class who well studies knows that as you go down the family tree of Jacob and further down and down and down and down, you come to another man called Jesus. And at the cross, you see a descendant of Jacob wrestling, wrestling with God. And yet in that moment, unlike the wrestle that he had with Jacob, there's a moment in which the father this time chose not to lie on his back. And with his own son in the middle of the lounge room floor, decided that he would lean down and crush him. Friends, we as Christians, when we come to understand that it is the God that goes through that deep wrestle of the problem of how do I love these people and how do I have them in my presence when they're flawed and broken and imperfect? He wins through losing. Jesus won through losing. You need to win through losing. Here, let me wrap it up for you. Look, if you're not a follower of God yet, if you're the person like Naomi Wolf saying, how do I encounter God? Here it was, get alone. Make sure that this is the most important thing in your life. Come to recognize too that all of your life, you may not be wrestling with your career or with love or with relationship. They're all Esau's in your life. You could be wrestling with him. And when you come to understand that he has constantly got you locked in this wrestle, not a wrestle of pain, but of love and of grace, that we see displayed in Jesus Christ, when you get that alone and when you say it may take me a while, then you can meet him face to face. Brothers, sisters, 
We get this, don't we? We've experienced this. God often gets to us through deep pain. And you are in the fight of your life, some of you, at the moment. May you look to him and understand that it's only through that, that it's a God who loves you, and the only way he will transform you is if he melts you in that wrestle of love. Let's pray. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.